Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host Joshua Ingram. Uh, it is Monday, April 19th, year of our Lord 2021. And this will be episode number 36. So, I've really just had one thing kind of dominate in my, my spiritual thoughts this week. And it's a complicated subject for me to talk about because I don't, I don't have full understanding of it. And so, um, it always makes it really like, it, it feels uncomfortable talking about something that, it, that you don't really fully grasp. Um, reminds me, there's a scripture that says, uh, he who answereth a matter before he heareth it is, it, it, it's foolishness to him or something like that. Basically you don't speak before you know. And, um, so the context of that verse isn't necessarily exact same as this, but I think that's that's a general wisdom that we can apply. Like if you don't really know what you're talking about, then you shouldn't be talking. But I am trying to wrestle through these things, and the whole point of this podcast is to share uh, my spiritual thoughts, my spiritual walk uh, throughout the week. And so I can't get around not talking about this because, like I say, it's it's just been kind of dominating my thoughts. Um, I think I touched on it a little bit, um, towards the end of the last week's podcast. And basically it's, it's, um, because I've been reading this, uh, book by Pastor John Piper, um, uh, about imputed righteousness. And so it was something that I hadn't really thought of previously. Like, um, I'd always just assumed like for me, okay, if I were to summarize the gospel, it would go something along these lines. Man, man is um, inherently wicked. We are sinful, lost beings, damned um, by our sins and our fallen nature, uh, justly condemned by God as, as sinners. We, we have violated the law of God and we deserve death and judgment. And to sin against an all-holy, all-righteous God um, is worthy of eternal punishment. With that said, um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son, the, the second member of the Trinity, the word of God, um, as he was called before he became Jesus. He sent the word of God to become flesh, to take on a human body, that of Jesus Christ, the, the son of Mary, um, to, to take on that body. And he lived a perfect sin-free life. Um, so that he fulfilled all the law and the prophets and, and, and deserved no wrath. Yet he willingly sacrificed his life. He traded his life for ours. He, he went to the cross in place of us to suffer the wrath of God. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. He poured out his blood on our behalf, the sacrificial lamb, the propitiation, the atonement. He paid the sin debt that was ours. He paid for our sins. And then rose from the dead, from the dead to prove it, and and to to show us that you know everything he said is true, and if we'll repent of our sins, and and place our trust in him, if we'll if we'll have faith in him, if we'll we'll trust that he is the only way that we're ever going to get to heaven, it's by him. If we'll trust in him, we'll be saved. And so that's a like a loose, you know. I did a. a mediocre job there of explaining the gospel but to me that's always been the gospel um the part about christ's righteousness being imputed to us um has always kind of i guess been an afterthought for me um i know i've always read the scriptures as we are counted righteous you know because because i i'm very aware of my own sinful life um and and after salvation, even more so, like prior to salvation, I never gave two thoughts about my sin. But after being saved, I'm very aware of my sinful thoughts, my sinful heart, my sinful actions, uh, my failures to be obedient to the Word of God. I'm very aware of that. But I've always trusted that Christ bore my sins and I am counted righteous. God looks at me as righteous because of what Christ did. Um. Now, imputed righteousness is um, the doctrine that, that Christ fulfilled the law 
and the prophets. He completed everything that was required for holiness and perfection. He did it all. And so not only does he bear our sins, not only does he take our debt, but he also gives us his righteousness. So that we're not just counted righteousness, we are righteousness in the eyes of God. Christ's righteousness is ours. We are counted, we are seen, we are imputed, we are viewed um, as fulfilling the whole law, as, as never failing, never violating the law. We're seen in God's eyes as never having sinned, as, as, as um, completing the totality of the law, doing everything that God requires. He sees us as that because Christ gave us that righteousness. It's ours. In the same way that he became sin for us, he, 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 he not only um, was counted as sin, but like he became sin on our behalf. The, the wrath of God that was due to us was on him because he, he took it from us. Our violations of the law, he took as if he committed them. You know, he, he was counted as the one who had uh, lied and stolen and committed adultery and homicide and genocide and incest and rape and murder. All these things were his. He took them from us. So he was the condemned criminal. He became sin for us. He he took that sin upon us. In that same way, his righteousness is imputed to us. And so, like I say, I've always just kind of brushed past that idea and just said I am counted righteous because of the awareness of my own sin. It's hard to, to see the duality of ourselves as, as actually being the righteousness of God, as, as actually being seen as completing the whole law, yet having an awareness of every single time I violate the law. So there's this duality here. And when I first started reading this book by Piper, I was thinking, man, this is too complex of a subject for me. This is, you know, a thing too high for me. There's a scripture that talks about uh, being simple, you know, and, and, and not looking into things too high, too, too complex. And so I thought about that too. Um, and there's just so so many different thoughts that I've been having about this topic that that it's really just hard to summarize. Um, I suppose one thing that I was thinking about is if Christ... Um, well, there's a verse in Romans 3 that I've always kind of um, been uh, perplexed by. It says, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And I've always gotten hung up on that phrase, that are past, uh, because uh, I've always thought, you know, all my sins are paid for, um, past, present, future. All my sins are paid for on the cross. And that is, I, that is true. The Christ paid, but this, this, those three little words here have always have hung me up a little bit that are past. And so this imputed righteousness idea kind of gave me a new, uh, I've been trying to see this from a new angle as if, okay, at the cross, when, at the cross, when I, when I received the cross, when the cross became a reality to me, when the Lord drew me unto himself awakened me to my condition and brought the gospel to my heart and, and my ears. When, when the Lord did that, and when, when I was redeemed, when I, when I received Christ in my heart, uh, which is a grace, it's, it's not a work, it's nothing I did, it's a grace that he does. When, when he brought himself into my heart and gave me that awareness, all my sins that were prior to that were washed clean were paid for at the cross. Since then, I have been seen as righteous. You know, there's imputed righteousness to me. I've been seen as a law keeper. Even when I violate the law in my flesh, the Lord is seeing the righteousness of Christ in me. So, so it's almost like, I don't know, man, that's what I, I'm saying. This is a complex, like, I feel like I shouldn't even talk about these things because it's so complex. I'm just having these ideas where it's like, these sins are not, the sins post-salvation, in one sense, 
in a vague sense, I think, I don't know, like I say, I'm, I'm spitballing here. I'm still trying to figure this out. But in one sense, those sins, like, kind of don't count because I've been, I'm seen as righteous. I'm seen as fulfilling the law. Now, here's the other thought I had. This is a dangerous doctrine, which maybe is why it doesn't come in our infancy. It comes through our maturity in the faith. Um, because there, I see two dangers here. I see a danger that a person can go, well, then I can do whatever I want. My sins don't even count anymore. I'm, I am righteous. I am the righteousness of Christ. God sees me as righteous. So everything I do is, in a sense, hidden to God. You know, it's hidden behind the righteousness of Christ. So I can do whatever I want to do. I can sin as much as I want. And I think that's what Paul was talking about when he's when he was talking about, you know, uh, in Romans, the, the grace of God. And then he says, what then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Because we get this grace, should we just keep on sinning? And he says, God forbid, you know, how shall we that are dead to sin anymore live in it? Um, so it's obvious that that's not, and, and some people turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, another scripture says. Um, but it's obvious that that's not the way a Christian would think. A born-again Christian, uh, the spirit of God in you is not going to allow you, you're not going to want to sin, you know. And, and when you do sin, you're going to be grieved over it. You're going to fight against it. You're going to, uh, the spirit in you is going to wage war against your flesh so that you don't want to sin. So if you can find yourself comfortable sinning and even, you know, taking some sort of pleasure in it, like, hey, I can do whatever I want. I got to get out of jail free card. Then it's obviously a sign that you're in danger and, and you must not have the spirit of God in you because how could... Anybody who is dead to sin live anymore therein. So I see that danger in, in recognizing imputed righteousness. And then I also see this pharisaical, um, pious, holier-than-thou attitude that can come um, that unfortunately I, I've run into with a few street preachers, a few evangelists that uh, point their finger at everybody else. And, and, and it's this sinless perfectionist idea that, that they're without sin in that they, they think that they're better than everybody because of that. And it's a weird thing. Like, they, they, they don't even recognize... Like, if you get into a conversation with these people, you can smell the pride on them. They don't even recognize that pride as being a sin. They think they're without sin. And I, and I think that could be because of a misapplication of the imputed righteousness of Christ. If, if you're taught this doctrine in, in your youth, in your, in your spiritual youth, that you are the righteousness of Christ... Then you would say, oh, then I am not a sinner. I am without sin. And it can create this holier-than-thou pious attitude. So I saw, um, and I apologize for just kind of going all over the place with this, but these are just some of the, the various and manifold ideas that I've had while thinking about this imputed righteousness doctrine. Um, but it, it, those are some of the dangers that I see. And... I think I, I think if I could get a proper grasp on this, I feel like there's victory in it. I feel like there's a a, a new power in conquering sin. Um, sin will no longer have a hold of you because you're it's like you're separated from that. You're no longer you're not in the flesh anymore. You're in the spirit. You are the righteousness of Christ, and that doesn't give you license to sin, and that doesn't mean that we pretend like the flesh isn't here, but sin no longer has power. Like I, I just feel like there's a connection here that I, I haven't been able to put together yet. Um, but a lot, like I say, most of my week has just been, I've been reading slowly through this book. It's a short book, but it's, it's a complex book, or at least it's complex for me. And... Um, it's it's just a new thought to me. Like I say, when I thought about the gospel, my main focus was on the debt being paid. I wasn't really thinking about the the trade, the the righteousness being given to me. I just I just knew I'm counted righteous now because my debt's been paid. So that I am counted righteous because of what Christ has done. You know, and so um the idea that that it goes beyond that 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 God actually sees us as righteous is 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 a complex thing for me and 
Um, so I just been, I've been trying to wrestle through it here for a while. Um, I suppose that that's my thoughts on that. I, I don't want to go um, any further than that because it's still, like I say, I still haven't pieced this together in my mind. Um, it's just a complicated subject. It's enjoyable to think it through, but it's also kind of um, mentally exhausting. It's it's like it's draining my brain trying to figure it out, piece it together, um, which is a fun thing. It's I'm I'm glad you know like I don't want to just be dry and 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 in my study and in my reading. I don't want to just. Uh, habitually read over things with with no thought because it's stuff I've read over and over again. And the Lord has really blessed me in two ways. He's given me some books that have caused me to really think. Um, I think this podcast has also given me that because this podcast requires me to focus on my thoughts throughout the week and, and try to like really uh, remember them. And then also uh, the Lord has given me like a new way um, to read through the Bible and I discussed that on another podcast too, where I'm taking some of the the books that I'm I'm less familiar with, and really spending time studying it out. Uh, for the last month, I was looking at Zephaniah, and um, I start a new one on the seventeenth of every month, and and so now I've started looking at Haggai, and it's just it it's exciting the way the Lord you know as as giving me this new zeal, this new hunger for the word and, and how I'm investigating, um, you know, the historical context behind these books and just trying to get a real grasp on the geography and the history, um, to know exactly the time frame, the location, the setting, you know, who these prophets are talking to and, and then just, um, you know, they've been short books so far, so I've been looking up every word that I'm unfamiliar with, trying to um, take it in as a whole, then dividing it up into sections, trying to find Christ in it, seeing the, the character of God that's being revealed through the chapter. Um, so there's just different methods that the Lord has given me to, to, to read through the Bible, and it's been very, very pleasant. Um, another topic that I was thinking about this week, and I don't know how much of this to get into. Um, unfortunately, you can catch a lot of, I don't want to be too open because there's a lot of um, judgment that can come your way um, from, I, I suppose, well-meaning Christians, but I, I think they end up just being kind of Job's friends or whatever. But um, I've always struggled with church attendance and there's many different reasons why um it started early on in my faith where i was um super skeptical um of churches i i assumed that we were in the last days and that the the pulpits were full of um false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing and so i was really super skeptical and um, I praise God for that because in those early formative years, it, it just made me search the scriptures on my own, which I think is vitally important to, to understand the scriptures uh, without outside influence, without others telling you what the scriptures mean, so that you can come with this with, with a fresh um, Holy Spirit-inspired um, foundation. And then, and then when you're listening to people preach or teach, um, you're going to be able to test everything by the light of the scriptures because you know what the scriptures say. And so you'll be able to examine everything that's being said. And I, I just, I find that to be incredibly beneficial. And I thank God very, very much for that. It's it's um, one of the best blessings that he's given me, I think. But um, so that kept me out of church in the early years. And then um, I would try to go to church um, every now and then I would I would uh, just get like this. Usually, to be honest with you, it wasn't an internal prompting from the Spirit. It was external guilt. It was other Christians telling me that I needed to be in a church. And I would feel um, just guilt from them. No no spiritual conviction, just guilt. Like I, the Scriptures talk, the only thing I see in the Scriptures are that we're not supposed to forsake the fellowship. And um, I do have fellowship. And so I'm not forsaking uh, the fellowship. 
as far as like you must attend a certain church on a regular basis. I just wasn't seeing that in the scriptures. Um, but then, like I say, well-meaning Christians would, would just heap that upon me. You know, you have to do this, you have to do this. And because of that external pressure, um, I would try to find a church every now and then. And I would be um, discouraged. You know, I would I would either find a church that I felt was very ritualistic and set in like religious attitudes, um, which to me smelt like death. Just, you know, it just wasn't wasn't what I thought. Biblical church should be, biblical fellowship should be, or you would come in and they would be super like way over the top, overzealous and charismatic, which uh, it, it detracts from the sober mindedness and the seriousness that we're supposed to have. And I did find good pastors. Like I would find, you know, I've I've talked about my favorite pastors. I would listen to I listen to sermons all the time. So I'm I'm getting teaching, um, but I do realize I'm missing out on eldership. And, and the wise counsel of, of elder Christians. So I get that aspect, you know, and, and um, like I say, I, I have tried several times to find a church. Another thing that has always hindered me is doctrine. Um, there's three or four issues that are vitally important to me that I don't find to be so important to others. And as such, it's been really super hard for me to find a church um, that lines up with with what I believe on these topics. Um, I'll find one that believes in one or two, but then they deviate from a third one. Um, so or they you know they agree with one or two of the other ones and de you know there's just always a deviation. And I just have always had a really, really hard time um sitting and listening to something that I believe is false and 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 not saying anything, not confronting it. And um I've never really known how, how do you, you know, I've never known how to confront um, a pastor or an elder board or whatever. And so I've, if I hear something false, I just leave. And um, so anyways, that that's really kept me out of regular fellowship, um, not regular fellowship. I, I fellowship every week um, with brothers and sisters in the faith, but it, it's, it's kept me out of regular church attendance. The other thing is that that I just don't see in the Bible that a church is is prescribed to take place in a certain way, you know, like in this building on Sunday mornings, you got to come and listen to one guy preach and then you go home. Like that's not what I see as church in the book of Acts. I see a group of believers gathered together, taking turns sharing and edifying, uh building one another up, uh sharing their gifts. Um, but whatever the case is, it's, it's just hindered my, my church search. And, and, and then also, you know, there's the providence of God. He just, he hasn't put me in a place where I feel comfortable saying, yes, this, this, uh, I will throw my lot in with this group. This is my church home. This is where I will sit and, and, uh, be under their, their authority and eldership and whatnot. Um, and like I say, I, I do recognize that that part is missed. I do wish I had some older Christians, some older brothers in the faith, some elders um, to give counsel and guidance um, other than just, you know, listening to sermons and, and getting the wisdom of those elders. So anyways, um, a couple of years back, I, I had enough, I was, like I say, once every Two three years, I really get this impulse to, to to try to find a church. Um, like I say, unfortunately, it's always externally motivated. It's always because of pressure of others. I've never felt an inward conviction to go find a church home. Um, a couple years back, under the, that external pressure from from somebody, um, I was searching for churches again, and um, I started. I went to one a few times. And I disagreed with their eschatology. They're they're a pre-trib, uh, dispensational type church, and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, but I liked the preaching. I liked the messages that I had heard. I liked the atmosphere. I liked the location of it. It was really close to my house. I liked um, the. The people that were there, I liked the the variety of of church members or, or church attenders that I saw there. 
Um, so I enjoyed that, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll give this a shot. And so I was wrestling out in my heart. I was like, okay, that that eschatology issue, the pre-trib thing, that's a that's a key issue for me. That's one of those key issues. I, I believe the pre-trib rapture is a lie. I believe it's an error. I believe it's a dangerous error. And so I was wrestling that out, and I was thinking, man, is this something that should prevent me from attending this place? Um, because I listened to like Pastor John MacArthur, who is a dispensational pre-trib guy. and um, But for many years, I was turned off of his preaching because of that. And then I, I started thinking to myself, you know, if 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 a if a new believer or somebody lost um were to ask me where to attend church, like what answer would I give them? What would be my qualifications? Or if they want, if I needed to point somebody out to them that could present the gospel to them, who would I go to? And so I think that was what I started thinking along those lines. I was like, can I trust this person with the gospel? Will they preach a faithful, trustworthy gospel? And if the answer is yes then wouldn't everything else be secondary and 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 shouldn't a mature christian be able to tolerate differences opinions differences of opinions on other issues um it's still hard cuz when you join a church when you when you become a member you're putting yourself under the authority um the headship of them and if you disagree with some fundamental teachings that that's going to be a point of contention it's going to be difficult but I think as long as the gospel is, as long as you're unified in the gospel, um, I think that's what really counts. And so fast forward here. Um, recently, I've been desiring to go to a church. Um, and it's really, um, if not the first time, you know, it's, it's, it's rare. It's, it's very rare for me to have that desire where it's like, man, I want to go to church. I want to go, I want to, you know... I'm an introvert as well, so that that really hurts. I'm I'm so antisocial. I'm so awkward uh, with conversations. Um, just it, any sort of small talk just makes me feel cringeworthy inside. I just I despise it. I don't. I'm so very very uncomfortable in small talk. I just I I just I feel like it's disingenuous. I feel like it's insincere. Like, you know, we're talking about the weather or fishing or hobbies or jobs. It's like, because I don't care about that kind of stuff. You know, I care about important things. If a person wants to talk doctrine, man, I'll be the happiest guy in the world. We can sit down and talk doctrine all day long. You want to talk scriptures? You want to talk about God? You want to talk about Jesus? I'm all in. You know, let's sit down and have that conversation. But the, the small talk has always really bothered me. And... I've always explained to my brothers, it's just because it feels fake. If I, you know, like, how do you have a conversation with somebody when like, oh, hey, how are you? You know, if I don't, if I don't really genuinely care about the answer to that question, isn't it a lie? Ain't I just being disingenuous? It's like, I just want to like, if, if I'm, if I shake hands with somebody, my first words want to be like, hey, what do you think about Jesus Christ? You know? Tell me, tell me, you know, your thoughts on, on the gospel. Tell me what you think about the sovereignty of God. Like, I don't have time, you know, I, I don't have an interest, I should say, in the small talk things. And so it makes it very, very, very hard, like unbelievably hard. Like, I don't even know how to explain it to, to just have a conversation with somebody. I'm so awkward in it, so... It's 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 very very uncomfortable for me. I'm I'm screaming inside the whole time, looking for an out, looking for a way to get away from the conversation, and so that's always hindered me from church as well. Um, I've even thought like <laughs> the last few times I went to uh, Bethlehem where my brothers and sisters go, um, I would sneak in after the the worship songs, like right at the start of the sermon. And then um, I would dip out right when they say the ending prayer. So I don't have to go through those awkward parts of, of meet and greet with everybody and, and having conversations with everybody. Um, but anyways, that so a lot of these things have prevented me from church. But but now lately here, within the last few few days, uh, last week or so, or, or maybe two weeks, I've just been having this this impulse to go to church. 
And uh, we're coming up on a break here, so if you stick with me, we'll continue this thought on the other side. Hey, welcome back to the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. And uh, coming back from the break here, we've been talking about um, this desire I've been having to to, to go to church. And um, so as I'm thinking about this, you know, my brothers and sisters, of course, they want me to come to, to church with them. And I've just, I don't know, I don't know why I just don't feel comfortable going there. Um, it, it's nothing against the preaching. One of my all time favorite preachers, that's, that's his home church. It's where he pastored, um, uh, before he retired. Um, so like it, 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 you would think that would be where I want to go to have in my backyard, one of my spiritual heroes home church, even though he's not the pastor there anymore. Um, his, his replacement was handpicked by him, but I just, I don't know, man, I, I just don't feel I guess you could say called there. I don't feel at home there. I don't feel um, like it just doesn't fit for me. And so another thing I've been thinking too is over the last year or two or whatever, that if a person does go to church, I feel like they should probably attend a local church. Like in the in the book of Acts and, and in the scriptures and whatnot, you read about local churches. It was uh, local believers gathering together um, to form a church, like the church at Ephesus, you know, saints from Ephesus didn't say, well, uh, I'm going to go to the church at, uh, Philippi, you know, that, that's, I, I'm just going to go over to this church. It was, you went to church where you were. And so I was thinking like, if I go to church, I should probably find something local, a neighborhood church. And that one I went to a couple years back, um, is a local church. And so that, that's where my heart's been. I've been thinking about that place a lot. And thinking, man, if I, I should probably go back there, even though we're in disagreement on the eschatology front um, and the dispensational part, um, we are in agreement on the gospel. And I've enjoyed uh, the sermons I've heard there, and I enjoy the atmosphere, and um, it's local. And so I don't know, I've been, I've just been wrestling out in my heart. And then the other part is too, like, um, I'm out fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters all night, Saturday night. And until like two, three in the morning, uh, getting up for church, it, it, that's always been a big irksome thing for me too. It's like who decided church was going to be at 10 a.m. on a Sunday, 9 a.m. on a Sunday. How does that make sense? Ain't nobody trying to get up at 9 a.m. You know, it's like, why didn't somebody say, Hey, let's do church Saturday at six, you know? And I just, I've always been irritated with the, um, the ritual, the, the, I don't know what you call it, like the formula, the prescribed method of doing church. And so getting up is, is difficult for me as well. It's like, I, it's Sunday is the only day I can sleep in. Um, so there's just all these different factors that have, have kept me out of church on a regular basis. And, um, I don't know. Like I say, I've just been thinking about this one here lately. Uh, the fact that the Lord has laid it on my heart, um, I, 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 I can almost guarantee one of these days I'm going to go. I, just, I keep thinking about it. Uh, I'm just going to have to set my alarm and get up and go. Um, no more, no more excuses. You know, I put in my heart like, oh, I got to put on a mask to go in there, and you know that's ridiculous and whatnot. But, um. I'm just going to have to go and, and see what the Lord has. Um, another thing, too, is is I'm single. Like, I feel like church is a lot of times a family-oriented thing. So that makes it awkward. And, like, I've always, you know, I've, I've thought here recently, like, maybe the reason the Lord hasn't led me into a church is because I don't have a wife. Once I you know, get a wife, maybe then, you know, we'll start attending church on a regular basis. I don't know. There, there's a lot of different things in me that have kept me out of a church on a regular basis. And, um... I've just been thinking about going here a lot uh, the last few days. So, anyways, don't judge me too harshly. Um, I know a lot of Christians say, like, you know, if you're not a part of a local church, you know, you're out of the will of God. And to me, I would go, well, the church is the people of God, and I am gathering together with the people of God, just not in a formal building setting 
were gathering together in a Bible study setting and counseling and edifying one another. And I would argue that's more in line with what the churches look like in the book of Acts than the way we do things on a Sunday morning in a building called a church. Um, so don't, don't judge me too harshly on that. Um, So, the last thing I want to talk about is something that came up at a at Bible study on Saturday. Um, I went and uh, we met up with a brother and sister that we haven't seen in a while. And um, the topic came up about the vaccines and just the state of the world and, and how this certainly looks like a precursor to the mark of the beast. Um, some of the, like, um, my brother's wife, She's done a lot of research on, on these vaccines, and so she was really zealous to talk about it and just point some things out. And, like, she's very thoroughly researched. I mean, she's interviewed uh, Department of Health people and, and, and hospital staff, and and so she knows what she's talking about, you know. And it's, it's um, we, we try to talk about it from a biblical perspective and, and it, it, you know, with the vaccine passports and the ideas that you can't go um, into certain stores or events or whatnot without a vaccine passport, um, which we haven't seen in America yet, but they're, they're, uh, you know, the fact that it's on the news or in the media is certainly a sign that they're conditioning people for this idea. And just with all the other chaos in the nation, um, it makes you think, you know, uh, we're probably not too far off from, from Christian persecution in America, um, we're, we're seeing churches forcibly shut down in Canada, uh, pastors being arrested for, for preaching, for holding church services. And that's just across the border, you know, that's, that's in a supposedly free society of Canada. So, and, and the same ideas are being promoted on our television and in, in our media. Um, so they're certainly setting the groundwork, um, and setting the stage and, and, and conditioning people, getting people used to these ideas. Um, so these things are certainly coming, uh, whether or not, uh, vaccine passports happen this time around. Um, like I say, that groundwork's been laid. They're not saying it all over the media for nothing. They're, they're that's where they're going. That's the direction this country is going. And so when you talk about that, like, um, the idea comes along, okay, well, well, what are Christians going to do? Because that's where my heart went. Like, like as I'm thinking these things through, I was like, okay, if all this is true, if we are moving into dark times, um, which I believe we are, I, I don't know how long we have, uh, you know, it could happen in our lifetime or the Lord could put it off for a hundred years or so. But either way, what is, what, as a Christian, what is our, what is our duty how should we respond to these dark times? How, how should we set our heart? And the reason that's important to me is because like for a year, year and a half, I was uh, listening to the news all the time, um, not mainstream media news, but, but podcast uh, um, alternative media. And I was getting so angry, so frustrated at the injustice, at the deception. Um, it was just making me furious. And, and so I, I, I had to take a step back from that and think, man, like, like with all this going on, what, what is the, the holy thing to do? What is the righteous thing to do? What is, what is the Christ-like thing to do? What is, what is the gospel thing to do? How should Christians react in the face of mass deception um, and, and uh, potential chaos and just on the brink of a really, really bad societal, um, uh, framework or, or whatever you would call it. It's, it's, we're, we're, it seems like we're on the brink of something bad. So, so what do Christians do? And what I came up with is, is five points. I think I, I can summarize it in five points. There, there's five things Christians should do in this age. And I, and I put out some brief bullet points on my Facebook page. So if you follow me on Facebook, you might've seen this, uh, but I'll try to go a little bit more in depth here. Um, number one is to stay focused. That, that this was the main idea we came up with uh, at study is that we need to be gospel focused, kingdom focused, heavenly minded. And the scriptures talk about us being single eyed. 
And what that means is to be laser focused, to have your eyes on one prize, to not be distracted, to keep your focus on Jesus Christ and his gospel. All these deceptions, all the chaos of the world can pull our eyes down from the kingdom, down from Jesus, and to put us on this ver uh, horizontal plane to start looking around us at the events of the earth. And the moment we do that, we, we've, we've, um, we've lost uh, the, the spiritual aim that we're supposed to have as Christians. Our goal is to preach the gospel. That's the whole reason we've been saved. Um, and, 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 and the reason we're not in heaven yet, the reason that you haven't died and gone to be with the Lord is because you have labor to do. You have work to do. We're called to be his witnesses. We're called to be, um, his, 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 um, uh, what's the ambassadors. We're supposed to proclaim the gospel to the nations and the gospel is the only way, uh, that people will be awakened to the deception by, by pointing out the lies of vaccines, the lies of the media, um, that's not going to do anybody any good. They, they need to have their spiritual eyes open, which only comes through the gospel, which only comes by being born again. If a person is born again, uh, the Lord will work out the rest. The Lord will take care of their worldview from that point on. Um, our goal is to just preach the gospel in the hopes that they'll be saved. And once they get saved... God will take care of the worldview part. Um, so we need to stay singularly focused on, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on his kingdom. That's the first thing we do. The second thing, and this is a hard lesson that I had to learn, is to be innocent towards evil things. Uh, there's a scripture that talks about that. And the word innocent there is to be simple, to, to, to not go too far in depth um, with with investigating and studying evil like yes we we want to be aware of our enemy's plan we want to know what his designs are we want to know what his traps are and his deceptions are so we we do have to have that awareness we if we don't know the deceptions we risk being deceived we're supposed to be on alert. We're supposed to be on guard. We're supposed to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. So we have to have an awareness. You want to know what's going on in the world. You want, and you want to know it from a biblical perspective. You want to see how the deception is working. You want to see the evil. But, but if you stay focused on it for too long, um, and just you can get obsessed with it like I was for a while, and I can only see negative things coming from that. For me, it was I became so incredibly frustrated uh, with what I perceived as the lack of justice, the, the lack of um, accountability. I just saw the wicked getting away with wickedness, which is what, the, what David talked about in the Psalms. In Psalm 37, you know, he, he, he fell for the same thing. He was looking at the wicked going, you know, how long, Lord? Why are they getting away with this? And then it says, and then he went to the house of the Lord. And he remembered, the Lord has put them in slippery places. You know, the Lord will do justly. The Lord will do righteously. When you focus on the wicked, you forget that. You just become obsessed with wanting to see justice, wanting to see, wanting to see vengeance, wanting to see righteousness upheld. You get so frustrated at the success, seemingly, of the wicked. Um, it's exactly what that psalm is talking about. I think that psalm, is that Psalm 37? Maybe it's not, no, I don't think it's 37. Um, if you Google, then I went to the house of the Lord, uh, I suppose that would reveal it. That's the one verse that I can uh, kind of sort of remember in that. But but it, it, for me, like I say, it led to this frustration, which then led to anger because I was so angry at the wicked. I just, I so desperately wanted vengeance I wanted to see people held accountable and I would just get furious every day. I was boiling with anger in my heart and my brother's wife, uh, she went into sadness. She got just depressed about it, you know, into tears about it. And so like, I see if you focus on it too long on the, on the wickedness, you're going to become disillusioned, frustrated, um, depressed, despondent, anxious, worried, fearful, um, angry, um, nothing good. 
Um, so so the, we have to be innocent towards evil things. We want to be aware. We have to, like, you can't just say, well, I'm not going to look into these things at all. Because then you're going to get, you, you risk greatly being deceived. You have to be aware. We're told to be on guard. We're told to be alert. So be aware, but don't spend too much time looking at it. Get what you need to know out of it and then move back, you know, move on. Um, so, and, and like I say, that's the mistake I made is I spent way too much time focusing on it. So that's the second thing, the second takeaway of what we're supposed to do in this evil age, be innocent towards evil things. <clears throat> and the third thing kind of stems off of that. Um, and this was the verse that was just on my heart, like repetitively, um, throughout that period of time when I was just listening to alternative media all the time. Um, it was because evil abounds more and more because evil waxes worse and worse. The love of many will grow cold. And so the third thing is we can't let our love grow cold. And, and that was happening to me, uh, rather than being compassionate and pitiful and wanting to see the salvation of souls. I was wanting justice. I was wanting vengeance. I wanted the Lord to strike down upon them. I wanted to see, I wanted to see corrupt politicians hung in the public streets. You know, I wanted to see people tried for treason and executed, you know, cause that's what I thought was justice. That's what I thought was deserving. I thought these people are treasonous and sedition and, and full of sedition. They need to be held accountable. So my love was growing cold. My heart was growing hardened and, and towards the lost. I would get so angry at the deceived. I would, you know, I'm calling people brainwashed fools and, and just, you know, ignorant and, and, and just, um, rather than being gospel focused, I became focused on, on their, their deceived state. I just was like, you know, you ignorant brainwashed masses. Why can't you wake up? Why can't you see? And of course the solution is the gospel. It's not, so my love had grown cold. My heart was growing hardened. And I would recognize that and, and, and praise God. He kept that verse on my heart the whole time. Like every time I would start to get just overly violent in my heart, I would remember, man, my love is growing cold, you know, because evil abounds, because I'm looking into the face of it. Uh, the love of many grows cold. That's a warning given to us to not let our love grow cold. So that's the third thing we can do. The fourth thing we need to do is pursue holiness. We, we are required to seek out holiness and righteousness in our own internal being. Um, I'm not talking about externally trying to force the world into holiness. The dead world's going to do what the dead world's going to do. And, and, and only the gospel can save them. I'm talking about our own personal holiness. We need to continually self-examine by the light of the scriptures. We need to pursue righteousness. We need to fight sin. We need to strive after the ways of the Lord. Strive after holiness in our own personal walks. Um, so, so we just, that, that's the other thing we do. We try to live without hypocrisy. We don't want to preach the gospel and then have our message disqualified because of our, uh, because of our conduct. Um, so we want to, to seek holiness and pursue it with all our hearts and just to be constantly self-examining. Um, I, I think that's probably the key, um, to, to holiness is a, is a constant self-examination. So that's the fourth thing is to pursue holiness. And then the fifth thing is to count the cost. Um, we've had it relatively easy here in America for, for a long time. We haven't had to suffer for being Christians. We're, we're allowed to have our worship. We're allowed to have our, our devotions. We're allowed to have our privacy. We're allowed to have the scriptures. We're allowed to listen to sermons. We're allowed to proclaim the gospel in the streets and on social media. Um, we're allowed to, to, to do all these things. We've had it easy. Um, and we need to count the cost. It, it, if things progress the way they do are, are looking like they're going to go, um, we're going to be, uh, slowly and, and, and more and more cut off from society. It's going to be harder and harder for us to exist, to coexist with society. Um, we're going to be shut out from the economic markets. We're going to have a hard time getting jobs. We're going to have a hard time shopping. Um, so we need to count the cost. Um, if it comes to the point where where you feel morally morally convicted, and I think Christians should, about taking a vaccine, 
um, and, and they say you can't go to a store without one, you're going to have to count that cost. You're going to have to say, okay, well then I guess I can't go to the store because I'm not, I'm not stepping over that line. And, and eventually there's going to be a mark of the beast, which again, this vaccine is a precursor to that. And when that mark comes, uh, Revelation 14 is very clear that all who take the mark will participate in the wrath of God. They'll have the wrath of God poured on them, and the smoke of their torment will ascend forever. So that is something a Christian cannot do. You cannot cross that line. So you need to count that cost, because by not taking that mark, you're going to be um, cut off from society. You're not going to be allowed to go to the grocery store. You're not going to have a job. You're not going to be able to get a, a loan for a car or, or, or a house. You're not going to be able to get an apartment. You're not going to be able to have a bank account. And, and so to count that cost and say, that's fine. I'm, I'm not going to love this world um, more than I love God. I'm not going to love the things of this world, the comforts of this world. Um, I'm not going to love my life unto the death. I'm going to, I'm going to say, Hey, if I got to die, I got to die. If I got to go through hardships, I got to go through hardships. I'm not crossing that line. I'm not going to make myself an enemy of God. I'm not going to dishonor and blasphemy his name by turning against him. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. And so we're starting to see the seeds of that in our society now where we're, we're, we are having to make tough decisions. We're having to say, look, I, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. And it might cost me my job. It might cost me my finances, but that's fine. I'm not doing it. And so we have to count that cost and uh, be prepared to endure. We have to endure to the end. Revelation also says in that same section there in chapter 14, here is the patience of the saints. You know, we must be patient. We must endure. Life, we've had it easy here in America, but it's not supposed to be. The Christian life is one of hardship. Uh, it's one of enmity with the world. Um, not peace, not safety, not comfort. It's one where the darkness hates us, where the darkness hates the light, and we're persecuted and slandered and betrayed and 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 uh, imprisoned and tortured and murdered. Um, these things are going to happen. Um, whether or not they do in our lifetime, I, I don't know here in America. I, I don't know if that's coming uh, in the next 50. It certainly seems like it's going to happen in the next 50 years or so. It seems like it's right at the door. It's right around the corner. And so we must count that cost. Um, so those are the five things. Uh, stay focused on the gospel. Be innocent towards evil. Don't let your love grow cold. Pursue personal holiness and count the cost. And uh, I think those are five things that we can do in the light of this evil age. So anyways, uh, that's what I got for you guys here today. Um, as always, I appreciate you listening. I love you very much. Uh, thank you. You know, I can't thank you enough. If you listen to this, it really makes my day um, to, to see the, the listeners pop up on my, on my, uh, um, uh, what do they call that? Statistics or whatever. And, um, I, I appreciate that. So thank you for listening. Uh, Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.